All right, why don't we open our Bibles as we go into the Word of God. We're going to John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. Now, John chapter 15, verse 1 to 8. Can you get my Bible? John 15, 1 to 8. And we're sitting in John 15 for like six weeks as um, I've asked Daniel to uh, preach a series for us and he's going to take us through John 15. So John 15, verses 1 to 8. I'm going to read it for us if you can follow along. Verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Amen. This is the word of God. All right, welcome to church, everyone. It's always a a joy and delight to stand before you all and open up God's word and see what he has to say for us today. Uh, For those who are new, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, You've actually uh, happened to join us uh, in a first of a six-week sermon series on the last words of the Lord Jesus before he went to the cross. I said this last week, but, you know, typically uh, imagine that you were, you know, on your last sort of legs, uh, surrounded by your uh, friends and loved ones, and, uh, you know, the last words of wisdom that you want to impart uh, to your loved ones, um, it's quite important. And uh, I tend to think uh, of the, in, along the same veins when I read uh, these chapters in the Gospel of John, and that's what we want to kind of uh, look at um, in the next uh, six weeks. Um, yeah, and for those who uh, join us regularly, welcome back. Uh, it's good to have you here again. Um, but uh, as we uh, jump into God's word, uh, let me quickly pray for us because, yeah, we'll need God's help to do what we have to do. So let's pray. Father, we again give you thanks that you are a God who has not left us alone. You're a God who has created us in your image, but you are also a God who rules and governs all things, especially our lives. Not only those two things, but you spoke and you have revealed yourself and you have provided a way so that we might know you. We find that a privilege and honor. And as we open up these words that you have spoken, help us to hear your voice. Father, what we know not teach us and what we feel not stir up within us and what we have not give to us and what we are not kindly make us for your son's sake and his glory. Amen. All right. Um, If you have come over to my house, um, you would know that I usually park my car on the curb uh, just next to the driveway uh, to my granny flat. And when I first moved in, I didn't quite notice it at first, but a few times actually, uh, more than a few times, uh, people who have visited would tell me that it's pretty cool that I have free avocados. 
And I didn't know what they meant by that, because it's a bit confusing, free avocados, um, until they showed me that next to the car, every, every time I parked there, there's a, there's a tree. And when I first moved in, it was just a normal tree. I mean, like, you know, it's a tree. Like, you don't, you don't really observe, uh, you know, trees uh, from your day-to-day -day life. But then um, later on, when people started coming over in, in the months to come, um, you could see avocados kind of growing on that tree. Um, I never really noticed it until someone pointed it out to me. Uh, didn't have any avocados when I initially moved in, and now it did. And since I'm not a, you know, plant expert or a tree expert, I can't really tell if a tree is an avocado tree or not, unless it bears fruit. That's the simple and straightforward uh, example and analogy uh, that Jesus uh, gives us. And it's simple and straightforward, almost to the point where I could end my sermon here and say, fruit shows you what kind of tree you are. Let's pray. Um, that could be the end of the sermon. But I've got 30 minutes to 40 minutes, so I'm not going to do that. Um, let's look a little bit closer at the passage, shall we? Um, if you've been attending church, um, regularly uh, over the, the span of your life, you would probably be familiar with this particular passage uh, and this particular analogy. But if you actually look at it, slow down a little and observe and read the passage itself, I'd imagine that some questions might pop into your mind. At least it did for me when I was uh, looking at this text. For example, I'm not a vine. Uh, I'm not a vine branch, uh, literally. I'm not an avocado tree, literally. So what is this fruit that Jesus speaks about. Like, what is it? We get the point of the analogy, but what it looks like in reality, in my own life, that's a little bit harder to see. I get that the branch needs to be attached to the vine, right? We observe that in nature, but what does that look like to be attached to Jesus? Now, that's not as, as a simple, uh, it's not as simple to picture in our minds, right? So I want us to kind of dig deeper. I want us to spend time into what is, uh, what are probably common enough sayings that we know, that we've heard before, Jesus is the vine, abide in Jesus, Christians bear fruit. Uh, but I want us to look behind and inside these statements. Yeah? So let's, let's do that. Oh gosh, you can't see anything. This is going to be fun. That's even better, so you can pay attention to what I say. Uh, all right, point one. Anyways, verse one. Open up your Bibles, I suppose. Uh, verse one. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. All right, first things first. Why vine? Why the vine? Why does Jesus use the vine as an analogy? There's a lot of rich history behind it. So in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, so God's chosen people, are frequently described as a grapevine or a vineyard. You find it in the Psalms. You find it in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, in Hosea. It's actually quite a very, it's quite a common way that God describes his chosen people. Now, Jesus who was, of course, familiar with the Old Testament, takes this idea and presents an incredibly astonishing claim to the Jewish people, to his disciples. I am this vine, not you, not the Jews, not the nation of Israel. I am this vine. Where Israel failed, 
I have succeeded. So in essence, he's saying, do you want to believe in God? And this is a question for you. Do you want to believe in God? Do you want to have a relationship with him? To know him and be known, Jesus says it's only through him. He is the vine. And just to give you a bit of context here, bear in mind, Jesus is uh, speaking to who? Is he speaking to the crowds? Is he speaking to the Pharisees? Because that's quite important, especially throughout the gospel story, to find out who he is speaking to. And in here, he's speaking to his disciples, his closest friends. So he isn't teaching the crowd or, or the Pharisees or anything like that. He's talking to people who call themselves followers of Jesus already. Okay, so bear that in mind as we look at verse 2. So in that category, Jesus is saying there are people who identify as followers of Jesus, who do not bear fruit, and who do bear fruit. And for each case, as we see in this verse, there are certain consequences, if you will. And we're going to be looking in that. But first things first. What the heck is a fruit? Right? Let's land on a workable definition of what fruit is meant to be. I did, I did some digging and research, and most commentators, they kind of fall into two camps. One camp is uh, the fruit is more like a narrow and specific thing. It's, it's essentially uh, salvation. So it's kind of like if you are a follower of Jesus, at the end of it, Jesus is going to say, how much fruit did you bear? And then you will say, well, I, throughout the 60, 70, 80, 90 years of my life, I brought 10 people to Christ, 20 people to Christ. I bore 10 fruit and 20 fruit, right? That, that's how some people understand it. Others believe fruit to be more or less uh, an internal kind of thing. It's more to do with morality and, and virtue. So, you know, fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, that kind of thing. Um, inner transformation is uh, what some understand fruit to be. Now, I'm not too sure if either interpretation is sufficient, though. I think the meaning behind, remember, behind and inside, is much more to do with why Jesus uses this particular analogy. He could have picked any other tree, an avocado tree. He could have said that, but he doesn't. He talks about the vine, right? And I think that's where the answer is. Remember how I said that the grapevine was used to describe Israel? Why a grapevine? And stick with me, because I fear that some people will hear wrongly, and I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, but I think it is important to raise this. What do grapevines produce? Grapes. And what can you make with grapes? Wine, right? You can make wine with grapes. Now, in the Old Testament, contrary to what you might know, wine is used to often symbolize joy. It's often used to symbolize celebration, abundance, happiness, prosperity, peace. And of course, this is where I'm saying, don't hear what I'm not saying, abuse of wine, alcoholism, getting drunk, these things are also in turn, condemned as sin in the Bible. And I want to make it clear that it is indeed a sin against God. 
and we need to make sure that it is treated as such by us all. Yeah? But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. The reason why Israel is described as a vine, and in turn, Jesus declares that he is the true vine, is that this fruit, the grape, that turns into wine, is meant to symbolize the renewing, life-giving, joy-inducing role that genuine Christians play in this world. To put it simply, genuine Christians are active in shining the light of God's love, God's character, and God's gospel message of love and forgiveness into an ever-darkening world. Salt and light, if you will. That is what fruit is. Fruit is not just evangelism and salvation. Fruit is not just inner moral transformation. It is all these things and so much more. Christians making a real difference in the world that we live in, in the lives of those around us. That is what true fruit is. To be a blessing to others, to be a blessing to the nations, which was the role of Israel where they ultimately failed to be the voice of goodness and virtue amongst our friends, to be an example of God's kindness and love to our colleagues. See, if we understand fruit as this, then I believe evangelism is a given. It's a given. Bringing salvation to other people is a given. Moral transformation is a given. This is what fruit is, to be a force for good in the world we live in, to help others, to love people, to live for the sake of the other. That is what fruit is. Yeah? Following? So, we've defined it. We've got that out of the way. Let's quickly take a look at what Jesus says will happen to Christians who don't bear fruit and Christians who do. Verse 2, every branch in me, let's see if this works. Very good, thank you. Um, Very good. Uh, So, Uh, Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Takes away, that that can be translated also to he cuts off. So um, no beating around the bushes here, right? Jesus says, branch with no fruit, God cuts off. It's a simple thing, we get it, but simple doesn't mean not significant. So then, While we're here, let's ask ourselves, you who identify as a Christian, you who call yourself a believer of Jesus, am I bearing this kind of fruit? Do I see the lives of others around me being improved because I am their friend, because I am there? Am I seeing a a moral, godly transformation in me that helps others see the goodness of God in my life? And... You know, for good measure, just in case you didn't hear it, he actually repeats it in verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Brother or sister, God has saved you for a purpose. It isn't to make your life great, comfortable, or even morally good for the sake of it being morally good. It is to bear fruit. It is to be a force for good in this world. It is to demonstrate that there is joy beyond all comparison that is offered to everyone 
that change is possible, that hope is available. That's our goal as Christians. But I want to end on a bit of a high note with the first, uh, I want to end the first point rather with a bit of a high note. Look at verse three with me. Uh, uh, Verse two, excuse me. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It might not seem like it, but this verse is good news for us. It's good news. To the ignorant, whenever life seems to take a wrong turn, whenever hardships come around without any warning, they think that God is cutting them with a sword. We say to ourselves, God, you're killing me here. But in these verses, Jesus uses this fine analogy to offer up the real truth. To the believer, to his people, God never uses a sword to strike us down. But sometimes he can use a scalpel to cut away the parts of us that we don't need for our joy, for the good of those around us. Sometimes God takes his people intentionally through seasons of difficulty, seasons of pruning, seasons of cleaning up because he wants the best for us and for those around you. Let me say it like this. God's godly pruning often requires earthly pain. Godly pruning often requires earthly pain. Sometimes God prunes us because he wants to teach us specific lessons in life. Other times he does it so that we might see him more clearly. But whatever the reason for it, let me just acknowledge something. No one here wants to be pruned because it hurts. Pruning is pain. I know this because me, you, us, we spend an awful amount of our time, money, and strength avoiding pain, don't we? But that's the good news here. For you, the believer, who right now in this moment is bearing fruit, there is going to be pain tomorrow, but the pain tomorrow has a purpose. It isn't meaningless. In fact, it is more meaningful that you might be able to think at the time. Friends, our God is indeed present in the good times. Praise God for that. But here we are told by Jesus himself that God is, in a way, more present in the bad times. Sometimes God takes away things we think are valuable to us, but are in the end a way to us bearing fruit of being a force for good in the world. That is what pruning is. But let's move on. That was our first point. It was the longest one. So let's spend a shorter time looking at the next two. All right, let's uh, land on some characteristics of the fruitful branch, shall we? I'd imagine that for those who call themselves a Christian, after hearing these uh, words, none of us want to be in the camp of a fruitless branch, correct? So let's see what a fruitful branch looks like so we can kind of you know go in the right direction let's pick it up uh, we're going to skip a couple of verses and pick it up in verse five 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, a fruitful, fruitful, that's a bit of a tongue twister, fruitful branch persists in the vine. So what was largely implied by the analogy is actually explicitly stated by Jesus. And I love it when he does this, it makes it clear. He says, Jesus is the vine and his followers are the branches. And just like how the branches of the vine are always attached to uh, the vine, followers of Jesus, his disciples, who are hearing these words, are, in a way, attached to him. And then he kind of goes on and he says, without Jesus, just as a branch is nothing but a dead piece of wood, they can do nothing without him. Now, just to be clear, he's not saying that people, like everyone across the world can do literally nothing without Jesus. I mean, We've got eyes. Uh, People can do a lot of things without Jesus. But he's simply saying, for a branch to do what a branch is supposed to do, which is to bear fruit, they can't do what a branch is supposed to do unless it abides in Jesus, unless it remains attached uh, to the the vine. Simply put, it just means that Christians who say they follow Jesus depend on Jesus. That's the simple uh, you know, point that Jesus is trying to make here, we depend on the vine. We persist in the vine. Uh, let's quickly look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I know it's hard to do, but let's take the verse at face value. If you and I, this is what the passage is saying, if you and I remain attached to Jesus, then what you pray Whatever that might be, God answers that. And I think it does go a little bit deeper than that, but we can't miss the point here. I think, in a sense, it is meant to be taken at face value because when you and I are attached to Jesus so closely and so tightly, like a branch to the vine, simply put, Jesus is saying, your prayers actually make a difference. Your prayers actually make God move in a certain direction. A fruitful branch prays powerful prayers. Keep that in in mind. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, Finally, in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. A branch that bears fruit is a genuine disciple of Jesus. Now, in the... Uh, original sort of Greek document of the Gospel of John, because it was written in uh, another language other than English, there is no word here that translates to prove. Um, That's actually an addition by our English translators. It's actually, more simply put, supposed to say that you bear much fruit, and so you are my disciples. There is no word for prove. Our English translation just actually makes it uh, a little bit easier to read. And the reason why I point that out is because it's, it's a given is what I'm saying. Jesus is saying, you bear much fruit, you are my disciples. You bear much fruit, you are my disciples. The implication is fruitful branch, Christian. Fruitless branch, not a Christian. In other words, a fruitful branch proves who you are. Think of it like this. To the untrained eye, designer brand goods, which are really, really good fake knockoffs, are hard to distinguish. I actually Googled some. 
and then the picture. It, it really was difficult for me because, yeah, to be honest, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference and I can't tell the difference between, you know, I don't know, a, a good fake knockoff Chanel bag um, or a Rolex Submariner, sorry, in my notes I said Speedmaster, but someone corrected me on that one. That's actually a different uh, watch brand. But anyways, um, you can't tell the real thing uh, with the fake knockoff, especially the good ones, if you don't know what to look out for. But some of you guys can. Some of you guys know what to look out for. And if we were ever to be on the market for one and it was a second-handed one, I would go to you guys to ask, hey, is this really the right, is this really the genuine one? And in the same way, all of us who call ourselves Christian have, in some sense, bought, purchased this thing called the Christian faith. And these characteristics we learn about in these three verses are given to you to figure out whether what you bought is genuine or not so genuine. Does your faith persist in being attached to Jesus? Does the nature of your life actively look to depending on Jesus? Does your faith pray powerful prayers? In other words, do we pray at all? Do we pray a lot? The point is, do we pray? Think about it. If we really believe in, this, in, in what this verse is saying, how could we not, if these prayers are powerful enough for God to move in accordance with our prayers? Of course, there's other you know, elements at play. Is it according to His will? Is it a good thing for me? Is it, et cetera, et cetera. But, but put that all to the side for a second. Do we actually pray? When he answers, yes, sure, it's not often in the way that we might expect it, but think about it for a moment. God answers according to what you ask him. He might move that way rather than this way, which is what you wanted, but he moves. That is an incredible thing. Why aren't we then praying more often, I wonder? And of course, finally, does your faith prove who you are? A Jesus disciple? Or are you... Perhaps, maybe, living a lie. Are you, perhaps, maybe the branch that hasn't produced fruit in many, many years? See, fruit is essential for the genuine Christian. Fruit that isn't perfect, of course not, but fruit in genuine Christian is always present. Not perfect, but present. Okay, let's end our time together with one final point. Sermons are typically more than information dumps, yeah? They're more than just a TED Talk or a lecture, but are at their core a call to the listener to practical action, yeah? A good sermon does that. You leave thinking, I must do something different about the way that I live or the way that I think. Uh, so, I guess this is a question then, what about this time? I wonder what the practical action is. What is the command? The most obvious focus would have us look at, well, bearing fruit. Yeah? We learned about what fruit is, so get busy. Come on, guys. Let's bear some fruit. Not having fruit is bad. Having fruit is good. So get out there and bear some fruit. Let's do it. That could be it, but it would surprise us then that Jesus doesn't actually command that here. 
And even though it's not wrong to take away from these verses a call to bear fruit, there is a much more explicit command that Jesus gives in these verses. Can you guess what it is? Have a look. Guess what it is? Where is the command in all these verses? It's in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in me. This is the only command word in all these eight verses. Jesus says to you, abide in me. Abide in me. Remain next to me. Cling to me. Be near to me. This is what Jesus wants from you, believer. It is true that many, in many parts of the scriptures, Christians are called to do things, to get up and keep on doing things, to try our hardest to do X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. But here at least, it's not that. You see, the ultimate goal is to bear fruit. The way we bear fruit, to be a force for good, to experience moral transformation in order to bring a light into this world we live in, to be a blessing to others, is not to figure it out with your own grit and willpower. It's not. Verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. It is to stand by and stand with our Lord. That's all we need to do. And he promises that he will give it to us. Friends, do you hear what Jesus is saying? He is actually saying the same thing that he will soon say to his disciples in the next verses, which we will look at in the coming weeks. And it's this. You are my friends. You are my friends. Divine friendship. That is what it looks like to abide in Jesus. I had a chat with a couple of folks as I was preparing this sermon series. And a lot of the times people said, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how the word abide. And let me ask you, when's the last time you used the word abide in any of your you know, day-to-day chats? Probably never, right? So for us, when we, as a commandment as important as this, we need to understand, perhaps it's probably more important than what fruit looks like. What does it mean to abide? What does it look like? What does... This is how we begin. Friendship. To have Jesus as our best, most loyal, most trustworthy friend. A wise man once said, Show me your friends and I will show you your future. Wise words. I don't know how you were raised and I don't know your relationship with your parents, but at least for me, when I was a juvenile delinquent little boy, my, my parents would always say, pick the right friends. Make sure you hang out with the right friends because if you don't, 
etc., etc. And I think this stay, uh, this rings true for us even today. I've spoken to many parents in our church who know what I'm talking about. Your kids come home, um, let's say they go into kindy or primary school, and they're a little bit different now. They start behaving in a very certain way. You know what I mean, right? Saying no, you know, certain no-no words. Um, the other day, actually, I was talking to a couple at our church, and they were like, yeah, um, one time I taught off my kid, and then I turned around, and he was putting a roof finger up at me. And then I was like, where did you learn that? And then he said, yeah, from his friends. Where did he pick that up? From his friends. We are by and large, some of us would not want to admit this, but we are by and large shaped by the people we hang out with, aren't we? Our interests, our quirks, our supposed uniqueness are typically not that unique. It's either a result of direct influence from our friends or at least a reaction against it. In, a, in any case, it's because of our friends. And if this is true in our day-to-day -day reality, how much more is it true in our spiritual reality? This is how abiding in Jesus works, brothers and sisters. If we truly, honestly, deeply regard him as our close best friend, it's inevitable that we become like him. And as we become like him, it is inevitable that we bear fruit. That's the command God is giving to us today. Abide in Jesus. Stand by him as his friend, as he abides in you, as he stands by you as his friend without fail. Let me kind of break it down what it might look like for us. And it's really actually quite easy once you consider how we treat and relate to our close earthly friends. Let's give it a go. If Jesus is your friend, you would spend time with him. Pretty simple. I think as Christians, uh, whether we are genuine in it or not, know one very easy to recite truth. Christians read the Bible and pray. We know this to be true. But what if we reconsider this and frame it in the context of relationship? Do I see Jesus as my good and trustworthy close friend? And if the answer is absolutely yes, why wouldn't we want to hear from him as we read the scriptures and speak to and through him in prayer? That's our command, to be a good friend to Jesus because he's been such a good friend to you. Think about it. In your friendships, don't you just hate it when your friends don't put in as much effort into a friendship than you, you're always the one reaching out to them to hang out. You're always the one speaking to them. You're always the one next to them and with them in difficult times. And when you're going through the same thing, they're nowhere to be found. You know, when you text them and they don't reply. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? It, it's, it's annoying. What happens? Eventually, as we grow older, we start to distance ourselves from them. As we start to get less and less time, the 50 friends that we said, I'm close to them, when you were 20, now are probably five to 10. It happens. But we don't want that of Jesus, don't we? 
We want him to be always our close friend. So then spend regular time with him. I, I really wonder how different and how much more powerful our supposed quiet times would be if we really got this. Next, if Jesus is your friend, you would listen to him. We'll touch on this uh, more deeply in the coming sermons, but it's worth mentioning here. If Jesus is my friend, of course I'd hear what he has to say, right? I mean, of course not perfectly and not always, but generally speaking, don't we hear the advice of our earthly friends, especially if we trust them, especially if we consider them close? Even when that advice doesn't sit well with us, we listen. Not only do we give time to our friends, but also our ears. The same goes for Jesus. And finally, I mentioned this before, if Jesus is your friend, you're gonna become like him. Just like our kids who pick up habits and behaviors from their friends, sometimes not so helpful habits and behaviors, Christians pick up the spiritual lifestyle of Jesus. Just like how our kids seem to imitate what their friends say, how their friends might say it. We too, if we are close to Jesus as our friend, we will talk like him, we will think like him, we will act like him. I'll tell you how you know a friend is a close friend or just an acquaintance. It's this. Close friends become like each other in certain ways. You pick up habits and behaviors from them and they pick up some from you. And in the exact same way, that is the command. Abide in me. Stick close to me. Stand beside me. Realize that I am your friend. You are my friend. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Christians are commanded to work hard at being close with Jesus. The kind of closeness that we work hard at with our close earthly friends. Let me end by speaking a little deeper on this friendship with Jesus. I've said a few times that in some ways, our friendship with Jesus is like our earthly friendships. You know, Like our earthly friends, we spend time we should at least spend time with our divine friend Jesus. Like our earthly friends, we should listen to our divine friend Jesus. And like our earthly friends, hopefully, we become little by little to resemble Jesus. That is what it means to abide in him. And the command is to work hard at our friendship with him. But you know what is different about Jesus' friendship? to all other earthly friendships that we have. Our earthly friends are human. They have limits. Their time is limited. Their wisdom is limited. Their habits and behavior are often <laughs> less than helpful. But Jesus, our divine friend, doesn't have any of these limitations. You see, when we depend on our divine friend, he never ever lets us down. Our friend gets us through the toughest of times when our earthly friends don't have the words to comfort us. 
our friend Jesus does. Our friend is always there for us when our earthly friends can't be. Jesus never leaves your side. I am with you always to the very end of the age, is what he said. See, friends, to bear fruit is really a command to abide in Jesus, which in turn is an invitation to take Jesus as your friend. What seemed to be a passage, a simple and straightforward one about bearing fruit, is really behind and inside it a passage about friendship. Fruit is important. Of course it is. But that isn't the point. It is simply the inevitable product of friendship. As a branch, we cling to the vine. As his friend, we cling to Jesus. So we're going to be going into five more sessions of abiding in the vine. What does that look like? What did Jesus have to say about this? Let that be at the forefront of your minds as we continue to look into that. Let it be at the front of your mind, even this week, as you go out, live life, and bear fruit, hopefully as a genuine follower of Jesus. Jesus is our friend. Let me pray. Let me uh, kick you guys off um, as we reflect with this question. Have you ever thought of Jesus as your friend? Some of us might have heard this comment from time to time, but really, have you considered him your friend? Like your real friend, your close friend. Like your earthly close friends, but even beyond that, I don't know. I, I just feel like our faith and our relationship with God would change incredibly if we got this and if we behaved in the same way. I guess the, the um, thing that we have to figure out is do we want him as our close friend? Am I, am I willing to uh, work hard at maintaining this friendship? Just like our earthly friends as we grow older, we have to you know, take stock and pick and choose at the end of the day who we will be close with and who we'll be not so close with. So, so that is the, the real thing to reflect on. Is Jesus worth my time? Is Jesus worth my attention? Is, is Do I want to be like Jesus? And, and hopefully we answer yes to all three. And if so, um, I give you the space to do business with him. Tell him that he is your friend. Tell him that you want to work at the relationship. Tell him that you appreciate his friendship to you. Whatever it might look like, I give you the space Next minute or two to just be, do business with God and, and, and ask Him and tell Him and reflect on this invitation of deep and abiding friendship. Jesus is our friend. So let's spend some time in reflection and prayer together. Let's pray.